A few months after Adolf Hitler seized power in Berlin, a Catholic priest named Clemens von Galen was consecrated Bishop of Munster, a city in, in West Germany. And in time, he would earn the nickname the Lion of Munster, as the, as the bishop who roared at the Nazis. You know, this was a time when many people were cowered into silence, but the Bishop of Munster didn't hesitate to call a spade a spade and to criticize the Nazi regime. And he did this right off the bat in 1934, right after he was consecrated. He wrote a letter that he had read in every church in the diocese, which taught that the racist ideology of National Socialism was completely incompatible with Christianity. He publicly denounced um, attempts by the government to modify religious curriculum in schools. And when the Gestapo began confiscating houses of religious orders, he uh, didn't pull any punches either. Finally, when he heard of the atrocities being committed in concentration camps, he vigorously spoke out against the destruction of human life. Of course, his courageous words infuriated uh, the Nazi leaders, and one would expect that he would be swiftly arrested and executed. Yet that never happened, because he quickly became so popular that Hitler feared if they had arrested him, he would have lost the region to the war effort. So he said, we'll deal with him after the war. Well, the Allies ended up winning the war, and Bishop von Galen, his courage was recognized and rewarded. Pius XII made him a cardinal in 1946, and in 2005, he was beatified, uh, meaning he's uh, one step from being declared a saint. Now, I mentioned the life of Blessed Clemens von Galen because he reminds me very much of the prophet Elijah in our first reading. And that may sound strange at first because our first reading depicts a man who is, by all accounts, broken. You know, this Elijah, he is bordering on complete despair. He comes to a broom tree after a day's journey and he prays for death. How in the world could this be like the courageous Bishop of Munster? Well, let's put this reading in context. Elijah was a prophet in the ninth century, and he too had to confront, in, uh, ninth century before Christ, and he too had to confront an evil regime. Israel at the time was ruled by a king named Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. This was a, a wicked couple who committed many crimes, the worst of which was they incited many in Israel to abandon the worship of the Lord in favor of a pagan cult of, a, of a, uh, an idol named Baal. However, Elijah, like the Bishop of Munster, he not only, uh, not only did he never stray from the Lord, but he ceaselessly called Israel to repentance. And he never hesitated to confront and challenge this wicked royal couple. And then one day he wins this great victory over the prophets of Baal when there's a dramatic display of the Lord's power that convinces many in Israel to return to the worship of the one true God but he incurs the wrath of Jezebel as never before. She sends the entire army out after this one man, this prophet Elijah, to snuff him out. And so he's forced to flee for his life. And for whatever reason, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Maybe he thought after he had won this great victory, after, after he had convinced so many to return to the Lord, that Jezebel and Ahab, their power would crumble. But the opposite happened. But whatever the reason, 
he could do no more. And so he gets to this broom tree and he breaks down and prays for death. But the Lord doesn't answer that prayer, at least not directly. Instead, he sends an angel to miraculously feed him, give him this miraculous food and drink. And this strengthens him. This supernatural bread gives Elijah the strength to continue to Mount Horeb, where he will encounter the Lord in a very intense and dramatic way, and he will receive the strength to complete his work. Let's return for a moment to Blessed Clemens von Galen. What enabled him to speak so courageously? He very well may have had moments like Elijah did that just aren't recorded. In fact, I think it's fair to say he probably did where he was afraid, where he felt like he was at the end of his rope. But the courage and fortitude he repeatedly displayed, in a significant way, it's the result of his love and devotion for the Eucharist. Just as Elijah is strengthened by this miraculous bread uh, that came from heaven, uh, came from angels, to complete his journey to the holy mountain, so in the Eucharist, the living bread that came down from heaven, the very flesh of Jesus Christ, So could the Eucharist be a catalyst for this bishop in Munster to stand strong in the face of a wicked regime? How can something like the Eucharist do that? When we eat ordinary food, the food is assimilated into our bodies. We are what we eat, as the old saying goes, but not so with the Eucharist. The Eucharist, in which our Lord is present really, truly, and substantially, when we receive the Eucharist, the very opposite happens. We are assimilated into Christ. When we receive Holy Communion, Christ transforms us step by step to be more like him. This is how the devotion to the Eucharist could give this bishop the strength to stand up to the Nazis, could give so many saints down through the ages the strength to do God's will, because in the Eucharist we come to share in the strength of Jesus Christ. We may not have to face a a wicked king and queen, We might not have to go toe-to-toe with the Gestapo, but we all, like Elijah, are journeying towards the holy mountain of heaven. And we must get up and eat of of the bread of life. Otherwise, this journey will be too much for us, meaning we won't spiritually survive through the hardships, the trials, the temptations of life, unless we strengthen ourselves with this bread from heaven, the most holy Eucharist. Now, here's the deal. For the Eucharist to strengthen us as it strengthened blessed Clemens von Galen and all the saints, um, then we need to cultivate a true devotion to Christ's real presence in the Eucharist. And this is the tragedy of our day, that far too many people, uh, too few people, I should say, recognize the true miracle that is the Eucharist. And in this respect, we're not all too dissimilar from the crowd in our gospel. Jesus in the gospel says he's the bread of life, the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Not just life for a day, not just strength to finish a journey to a mountain, but for eternity. And how does the crowd react? They dismiss it, unbelief. Who does he think he is? We know his parents. How can he say he comes from heaven? Jesus responds to this murmuring by speaking about the mystery of faith. Faith, which on the one hand is a gift of God, a grace. And he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. It's a grace that is readily offered to us. But faith is also a human act. He says, he who believes has eternal life. We must assent, we must believe and accept what Jesus is saying. And really, belief in the Eucharist comes down to that. 
Are the words of Jesus Christ enough? Faith is accepting something is true on the testimony of other. Faith in general. Accepting something is true based on the word of another. Is the testimony of Jesus Christ, is his word enough for us to believe that the Eucharist is really, truly, and substantially his body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of bread and wine? May the Lord increase our faith in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist so that we might take and eat and complete our journey to the true mountain of God, our true homeland of heaven.